Good morning, everyone. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. Sorry about that dead air right there. With me this morning in the studio is John Arnott and Evan Golke. I mean, we were just having a great... <laughs> we were just having a great chat. Hey, there was some really good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but first I couple think, of minutes. Yeah, we peaked early. Yeah, we did. <laughs> Uh, Chloe, that's all right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Because we're learning. We are Chloe, learning. Chloe, this is, your, is, this is like your first or second time paddling. It's the first time driving the ship yeah. by oh, myself yeah. without Pam. So we'll mm. get there eventually. I think everyone just would have had like nothing for the last two minutes. <laughs> no, but like, it, I was, it was a fascinating conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, I think we're done. We can probably head home now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thinking time. It's a different studio, isn't it, now? I haven't been in here this year, but now we've got panels up so we can't... Uh, Spit on each other, yeah, and uh, yeah, we're all very segregated. But yeah. it's 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 it's, yeah, okay. it's all changed. Yeah. Mm. So we were talking about your title because <laughs> <laughs> apparently it's a general dog's body. Yeah, yeah. And and when I actually read the footer in your email, it said mm. um, Evan Gorky, director yes. of Oka Landscape, yes. aka um, dog's body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, somebody has to be the director. Yeah. And. and uh, and the general dog's body. Yeah, that's right. I mean, and that's what it's like running a small business, isn't it? You, you do everything. You do everything that there is to do. That's right. Hey, we have a common thread. <coughs> worked at the zoo, worked at the zoo, worked at the zoo. Yeah, that's did right. Did you work at the zoo, Evan? I did work at the zoo. Oh, yes, yes. You? I had a had a 11 months, I think it was, yeah. uh, playing around in the African rainforest when it was still pretty new. Yeah. It was 90s? Uh, it was 90s. 95. 95. 95, yep. yeah, because I, I was in Holland in Europe working in 94 yep. and then came back and got the job at the zoo Gee, it in 95. It feels like you were there for a lot longer than 12 months. Yeah, no, it was, it was only 11, 11, oh, 11 months, months it was. Right. Yeah, you certainly yeah. made an impression at the time. Yeah. <laughs> 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 or a really good thing. No, it was a good thing. I really enjoyed working at the zoo. It was, it was fantastic. It's there was just so much going on. And, it, and it, was, it was really when things were changing a lot at the zoo. And going, yeah, and going to the Did naturalistic. Did you overlap? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we yeah, were there at the yeah, same time. Yeah, yeah. 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 John, John had his head buried in plant books most yeah. of the time. Yeah. Still does. Still does. <laughs> <laughs> I had a fair bit more hair at that stage. Yeah, you did. I've seen some John Arnott zoo photos. Yeah, yeah. And he used to play the banjo at lunchtime oh. with, uh, with, of, with uh, uh, another fellow. <laughs> it's remnant of John Platten, the Hawthorne football player. Yeah, reminiscent of that. There was a lot of hair going on. Yeah. There was a lot of hair going on. They were happy days. They were... Um, Mm. It was. It really was transformational. What, what was happening, and, it, and it's you know it's happening to, to, to date. Yeah. yeah. And you know that, that that whole specialist horticultural field of zoo horticulture or zoological oh, horticulture. Oh, it's something mm. else. <clears throat> it is. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and Melbourne Zoo, Hillsborough Sanctuary, Werribee Zoo, I think they're globally the best proponents of of or amongst them. Um, you know the the quality of the <coughs> zoo horticulture that happens at. Mm. It's, Victoria. Mm. it's as good as anywhere in the world. Yeah. yeah. And there were interesting things going on, in fact, e- even in, in a small scale. There was the endangered grassland garden, which was a, which was a tiny little garden yeah. uh, that, that was run by one of the gardeners who yep. was just, you know, really fascinated by it. Yeah. And those little things of, of introducing endangered plants into the zoo was pretty inspirational, I think. I think it was... Um, Quite idealistic as well. Like it was this revolution, zoos, 
being beyond um, on those stationary circuses, there mm. for pure entertainment, but there for education and preservation, conservation, and you know, it was there, there was there was a strong sense of uh, a very strong sense of identity and a strong sense of change at the time. Mm. Yeah, mm. and and those like plant projects. Um, at one stage, we had a, a bench of diurus orchids, uh, a thing called the sunshine diurus. Mm. Um, uh, and, you know, the zoo had on one of its benches 98, 99% of the world's population of a species really? of plant. Yeah. Yeah. It was amazing. You're yeah. sort of doing what botanic gardens should have been doing at the time, probably. Yeah. You're probably ahead of the curve. Probably a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, probably yeah. a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, botanic gardens now are... Uh, absolutely conservation yeah, agencies. That's it. You know, we were in the field. We've been in the field for the last six weeks, collecting in bushfire scars, scar areas in East Gippsland. Mm. Uh, you know, collecting things that are potentially going to be threatened by changes of fire regimes or um, you know fire intensity and, and that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, and we've collected hundreds of species. Mm. And sort of safeguarding them in ex situ holdings and seed holdings and things like that. So a lot of those, are you growing them and putting them in the gardens at, yeah. at Cranbourne? Uh, Cranbourne, Melbourne, <coughs> distributing them across the network of botanic gardens in Victoria. Um, yeah, the the the, the, the I'd, it, it's called a meta collection. So uh, all that means is a collection which is held across a number of different sites. So if one population falls. You know, plants are fickle things. We all know mm. plants die in gardens. Um, so if it fails at the Cranmer Gardens, there's a there's a, a substitute or a, a parallel plant at the Melbourne Gardens. And if it fails there, there's one up the Daniel Ranges Garden or mm. Kawara or Maranoa. Mm. Yeah, so it's um, yeah safeguarding you know these these species, which is mm. pretty cool. The collecting you've been doing is that yeah. in conjunction with the Care for the Rare project, or is that something that's uh, collecting is separate. You've been sending material out. Yeah, no, it's 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 a separate project. Yeah. So Care for the Rare is really trying to support regional gardens in holding um, rare and threatened plants. Um, the funding for this particular project has come from has come from the department. <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a frog in my throat. I hope it's not COVID, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, we've got screens. We're fine. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, the funding for, for this one's come from the department, so it's 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 uh, you know zoos were doing the same thing. They were in East Gippsland soon after the fires, uh, establishing emergency populations of bristlebirds, hmm. um, and you know so it's a it's a yeah this project's funded by Delwop uh, to secure you know some of these at risk species due to you know fire. Yeah, yeah. and did Climate I hear you change. say the other day that you, you're going to the Streslakis? Uh, well, yeah, as yeah, well, I'm, I'm, for collecting. Well, that's personal. Oh. So that's next week. I'm going to hop on my bike with a mate. Right. And, um, yeah, we're going to go cycle touring in South Gippsland. Oh. Yeah. Which would be fantastic. Yeah. Last, uh, the last year was the first year in many, many years that we hadn't cycle travelled. Normally we try and get a bike ride in or two and do some touring on the bikes. Last year, mm. just, you know, for obvious reasons. Yep. Mm. Um, yeah, so this is the first tour for a little while, so I'm a bit excited. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and we we combine botany and the the handlebars, so we're, we're actually looking at some really interesting botanical sites along the way. There's a place called the Avon Channels, which has got a population of a, a eucalypt called Eucalyptus ornans, which was thought to be down to 10 individuals, so on the IUCN red list as critically endangered. Um, but a couple of our mates um, went into that field, into that site the other day and 
indeed there's many hundreds of plants, so it's regenerated pretty strongly. Fantastic. Yeah, but it's, it, has it been burnt recently, or it, it was a flood. Using? It was a flood. So oh. the flood came. So the theory is the flood came through, yes. and it's a mallee, yeah. uh, and oh. it just blew away all the tops of the trees, mm. leaving the lignotuber behind, yeah. which is the underground part, the underground stem. Uh, and you know, people went to look for it and didn't see it because it was not there above the ground. Um, but since then, the, it's regenerated from the lignotuber, uh, and this looks like there's hundreds. Right. Which is, yeah, which is amazing. So yeah. it looked like it was down to 10. It was thought to be down to 10 yeah. individual plants. And it's obviously in a very isolated location, so 100 what? is a lot for that zone, is yeah, it? Or, yeah, it's a lot Or for would that. it have been... Further afield, no, I th- the, and it's the become assum- farming land. No, the assumption is that it was always just inherently rare. It, it's growing in a gorge. Mm. Um, it's yeah, the Avon channels. It's pink granite, um, yeah. like a really beautiful, like, uh, picturesque gorge. Yeah, but it's a bit like the Grampians. It's like a little niche for this plant to occupy. Yeah, um, is it near the Avon River? It's on the Avon it's River. Okay, yeah. so Mallee growing. In on a river. Yeah. It does seem a bit odd, doesn't yeah. it? It does a bit odd. Yes. Mallees normally grow in the middle of, you know, a Sandy, yeah. sandy yeah. Yeah, locations. That's right. yeah. And it was, um, oh, you know those botanists, they look really closely at things and they, they, <laughs> they, they actually split it out of a, a thing called Eucalyptus alata, which is the river peppermint, oh, okay. because it's a completely different shape and form, yeah. but it's really closely related to the right. Eucalyptus alata. Um, but because it's got a different habit and has different properties, it was deemed to be a species in its own right. Yeah. Um, but it is a mallee. It Amazing. has it has this lignotuber and you know, that beautiful multi-stemmed. Mm. It's quite a gorgeous thing. So I'm looking forward to seeing that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So a little bit like a snow gum in size, is it? Uh, probably a bit bigger. Probably a little bit bigger. But mallees, um, you know, there's mallees on you know, Mount William. The Porcifloras can be mallees. Mm. Yes. Um, there's mallees at you know, places like Sukunbugan and you know, so Mali, um, whilst it's a region and a, a description of a plant type, um, a group of eucalypts, mm. um, they do go outside of the Mali region because mm. yeah. the Mali's the shape. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, there's, there's sort of two, for plants, for plant people in the botany world, there's two um, definitions of yeah. Mali to, yeah. to us. And they are the shape of the tree. Yep. Uh, and that geographic region of yeah. Australia. Australia mm. that yeah. we know of. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love mallees. Oh, they're oh they're fabulous. I yeah. could talk about small eucalypts for... Until the cows come yeah, home? Yeah, until the cows come <laughs> home, until the eucalypts come home. It's National Eucalypt Day on the 23rd of this month. Oh. I saw in the Botanic Gardens newsletter this week, John, um, your photo for National Eucalypt Day, a branch out program. Okay. Over 60s. So you <laughs> okay. Gee, I hope I, I better look at my diary. Yeah. No, I think Russ Lark is... Um, Russell's doing the Eucalypt tour. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. Oh, no, that's interesting. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was really lovely. Um, the other... Oh, look, a little while ago, there was a photo shoot with my little granddaughter, which has been used for a, 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 a fair bit of things, in, including... Um, trying to uh, invite people um, to bequest some money in their will. Yeah. Um, but 
we've just got this lovely series of photos of me and my little granddaughter walking around the garden. Oh, that is a treat. <laughs> yeah, it was a treat. It was You're a proper really, treat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was a proper treat. To that. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, the the mallees for for uh, garden design are pretty useful too, because small eucalypts are pretty useful. So yeah. when you look at um, established landscapes, you'll often see very very tall eucalypts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And very tall eucalypts are, are great. Yeah. And we all love them, but they do cost in the longer term, in our boricultural oh, yeah. inputs mm. that um, are not always thought about when a site is planted. Yeah. And so in our case, when we're doing schools and things like that, you sort of want to avoid those massive yeah. eucalypts. So things like what you're talking about, eucalyptus ornus, I, I don't know if that's a, a plant that is in general cultivation. Not at the moment. It's not, yeah. No. Um, mm. But those sorts of plants are really, really useful. And... Uh, I mean, one of the other things that most trees are grown for street trees. Mm. That's what most nurseries yeah. will grow them. Um, and they'll grow them as tall and as narrow and as skinny as possible yep. to get the height because most people specify them for height. Yep. And, uh, but who doesn't love a multi-trunked tree? Oh. <laughs> love it. Yeah, love but, it. But getting a multi-trunked tree is really, really, really difficult. You've nearly got to buy them and cut them off. Yep. 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 And let them come again, which makes clients' eyes water. Yeah. <laughs> or plant three in one hole. Yeah, yeah. And or you sort of get that instant. You can get that instant effect. That's but, right. Or, or wait 20 years. Yeah, or wait 20 years. <laughs> that's right. Well, they did that in um, in Fed Square, didn't they? They, yeah. they planted groups of, of snow gums in, yep. in small... Uh, I, I don't know. I think they've done okay, but... but I think if you can get a single tree to do it, it's kind of a, a, a better thing mm. down in the longer term because you yeah. don't have that competition. Yes. Yeah. But even things like crepe myrtles, you know, you see beautiful old crepe myrtles that are multi-trunked yeah. because people have grown them from seed mm-hmm. or from cuttings or whatever in old homes. And beautiful are, bark. Yeah, just oh. sensational. Beautiful bark. But you can't buy them. Because, because because of the way they're grown. Yeah, because of the way they're grown. Yeah, but they yeah. grow them straight with Be- one leader. Because it's quick, so you turn turn over the tree more quickly, which yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Um, but it's it's very very difficult, and has been for a long time now. Yeah. To get multi trunk trees. We've, we've got some friends that have got a, a eucalyptus casia. I think it's the cultivar silver princess. Mm. Um, and it was. Like, I mean, they're not a big tree, but it was mm. getting a little bit too big. But they loved the tree. And I said, well, just get a... I, I actually went into the shed to get a handsaw out. And I said, we'll just chop it down there. <laughs> <laughs> and they looked at me like I was, like, actually insane. Yeah. yeah. Um, but what would have happened is if they allowed me to cut it down, they didn't in the end. <laughs> uh, trust me, I'm a horticulturist. <laughs> yeah. um, is that we would have, you would have had this response and mm. this mallee shape would have come out of this single trunk tree, mm. which would have been... So I guess the advantage of mallees is that if they actually do get too big, you can knock them down. Well, yeah, and that's, that's why they're good. You know, gardens are getting smaller as well. And if yeah. you do want something that resembles a tree, putting in a mm. mallee eucalypt, yep. when it does get too big, its lignotuber will have advanced yep. and established, mm. and you can knock it down mm. and and start again. Yeah, uh, uh, the terms coppicing. Mm. Yep. Coppicing it right down to the right down to the ground, yeah. basically down yeah. to the lignotuber. Yeah. Yeah. There's all of these buds and the potential for these buds to make the new new tree. Mm. Well, there's the treatment of the eucalypts along Batman Avenue mm. um, at the end of Birong Ma. Birong Ma, yeah. Um, it's a grey-leafed eucalypt. Yeah, uh, I think it might be polverulenta. Yep, yep, that's what it is. Um, um, yeah. 
And for a long time there, it was cut like a hedge. Yeah. If yep. you remember. Yeah. And it looked ridiculous. Yeah, it did. It did. <laughs> and now, somebody's obviously prob- probably... Um, Mr. Thompson, Paul Thompson, Paul Jonathan Thompson Rudy, has probably yeah. sort of rung up and said, "Oi, yeah. you need to do it this way," and yep. they effectively do coppice them. Yep. And uh, and now they they just look like a loose. It's a loose head. It's still it's still hedgy. Yeah. yeah. But it, it they're all just coming up from the yeah. base. It looks so much nicer. Yeah, so much fresher and cleaner. Yeah. And it's still they they can still be dense when they have been cut down mm. to the base. It's you know, it's not a cypress hedge, mm. but they they still, you know, will screen off an area. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's one of the best plantings in Melbourne Central. That 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 strip, that band. Of, just that band of yeah. eucalypts. Yeah. I just think it's really inspirational because you don't see it. You don't see eucalypts treated that way ever. And if we were if they were allowed to grow out, they'd now be trunks, trees at I don't know, ten metres. Yeah, ten, yeah. twelve metres. Ten, twelve yeah, metres. Big, big yeah. tree. Yeah. 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 So it just shows you that you know you, that plant manipulation, and there's a and those mallees are fantastic mm. for it. You just knock them back and they'll regrow. Yeah. And there's and there's a bunch. And, mm. and what it also does is it forts, forces the really ornamental juvenile leaves, because there's a big yeah. difference with polyvalenta and, yeah. and and that, those mm. types of things between the the beautiful silver juvenile leaves and the adult leaves, which are you know completely different shape. Mm. Yeah. Green. Yeah. I think there's a there's a really good variety called baby blue. As well, yeah. around. Yeah. And there's one planted in the front of an art gallery in Berwick. that has um, been there about three or four years, and that is the most magnificent-looking small tree. I don't know how big that's going to get. Probably no one knows, and that's the, that's the risk of buying a, a, a eucalypt that's relatively fresh off the, <laughs> off the, breeding <laughs> li- off the selection list that uh, it says it's going to get to six metres and it yeah. gets to 12. But, um, but it's got a gorgeous shape. Beautiful shape. Very rounded. Yeah. Uh, again, multi-trunked. Yeah. Um, but I think that's a ripper. We have put it in some projects over the last few years, but I haven't, haven't seen them come through yet. And again, I wonder if that was left, whether it might grow out and, or yeah. whether you need to sort of knock it back to the lignotuba and have it so, mm. it, so it does stay with its juvenile form, I'm yeah. not sure. needs to come with an instruction it, yes. and, and <laughs> <Yeah>. a saw. And a sharp I was a couple of years ago in the Blue Mountains and saw... Uh, a eucalypt called Eucalyptus Cunninghamii, um, and it's a similar shape. It's a, again a mallee, um, but old, old, old plants, maybe 50, 60, 100 years old, 2.5 metres by 3 metres wide. Right. Fully, that's, that's, that's its that's its. And is that because of stuff. where it's growing, or no, is it's that... it's genetic. Right. It's genetic. Oh. So you bring it into cultivation, it does the same thing, really tight... And then there's the varnish. Is it the varnish? The the vernifluor, the Tas- Tasmanian one, mm-hmm. that doesn't get much above a meter. Right. The yeah. Viricosa. 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 Yes, Viricosa. Yeah, with tiny, tiny foliage. You, you wouldn't. Have, you almost wouldn't even mm-hmm. pick it as a eucalypt. Yeah. 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 And and are those plants in cultivation and available? <sighs> they should be. They should be. Yeah, I look it's like, the sort I, of thing that the friends could grow, so I, we can buy them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> good idea. Mountain Botanic Gardens grows and sells a lot of those small eucalypts. Yeah, but for their plant sales. For their plant sales, yeah, yeah yep. for their nursery. Yeah, yeah. But it's 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 interesting um, with like for example, Porciflora. So it depends where you are going up the mountains yep. as to how they look. Yeah, and they're, they're the same beast. Yeah, 
but you get down to where they're just above the alpine ash, and they might be 15 metres tall. Yeah. Or, you know, they're massive. There's some lowland porties uh, just out of a place called Devon Meadows, not far from Cranbourne, and they're, yeah. they're proper trees. Yeah, they are. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're proper trees. But such a good group. I mm. mean, those, you'd, yeah, they're just the bark, they're just, just gorgeous things. Mm. Mm. Well, it's five to eight, so it's probably time we opened up the phone lines to call us for any questions that anyone might have. Have we been on? <laughs> Are we on air? I don't know. I haven't had any messages come through yet saying there's dead air for half an hour. <laughs> Sorry, Chloe, that was a bit mean. No, no. It makes me feel better if you just pay me out on these mistakes. <laughs> if anyone has any questions, wants to call up and say hi, tell us a cool story or ask us anything, please give us a call on 94190155. And we also have the SMS text line too if you want to um, ask a question that way or, or throw a comment our way. It's the, phone line, um, the SMS line for that is 0488 809 I'll give out our phone What was that number again? The, the SMS uh, number is 0488 and our general phone line for any callers for you to jump on air with us is 94190155. Call us now and not at 10 past nine. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully everyone's propped up in bed with a cuppa or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's the morning for it. It is the morning for it, yeah. A a wintry blast came through yesterday. It did. Didn't it? It was... Muggy in the morning, yeah. and then Bam. cool change swept its way across the state. Mm. Yeah, I, is that the end of summer? It has to be. I thought is it was about four weeks ago. I thought it was mid-December. Like, yeah, she's <laughs> been a quiet one, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's great for because I'm in a bushfire area, yeah. so you know, you sort of yeah. think that, that that's really really useful. But it's not good for eggplants. No, I have no eggplants, not one. I mean, I have plants, but I have no fruit. Is that um, what, just because of the lack of sun? Yeah, yeah, just too cold. Too cold. Just too cold. Yeah, yeah. capsicums are battling on, so we've got a few out of those. Tomatoes have been good. Yeah. Um, which a bit is slow to ripen. A little bit slow, but yeah, but have been pretty good. But that's two years in a row now that we've had uh, had it quite cool, the summer. Yeah. So this year I, I actually changed where the tomato bed was to a spot that warms up when the sun's still quite low. So in spring, it gets quite a bit of sun. So I'm actually hoping that it'll have longevity now as well. Aren't you supposed to move tomatoes around anyway? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, every couple of years. Every couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to talk about my veggie garden. (laughs) It it makes me sad. Oh, no. (laughs) We've got rats. Yeah, rats are bad. And I have no idea how to... I mean, it's, I have an idea, yeah. <laughs> um, but trapping hasn't worked. Right. Like, they're really trap-weary. Yeah. Um, so we ended up pulling our tomatoes out. They were yeah. Just, they were just getting smashed. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's, there's quite a good uh, a unit that comes out of New Zealand yeah. that um, has a little CO2 canister in it. Okay. And it has, like, this chocolatey material underneath. Yeah. And, so what, and, it, and it has a, a little bolt. Okay. So um, essentially, the rat puts their head up to lick the the food that's there, and yeah. a bolt, yeah, okay, comes out and whacks them. Are they from New Zealand yeah. or something? AB Bishop has yeah. 
those. Yeah. And she's talked about them before, and yeah. she says they're quite effective. Yeah, 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 they're quite good. Yeah. 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 yeah, so, and uh, a neighbour of mine, actually, because uh, when you have chooks, you often have um, rats. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and he's just had so many rats. So he's been knocking them off in this way. And then he's got um, what he calls the altar of life, <laughs> and he puts the rats upside down on this um, on this table, and every day they disappear. Crows, ravens. He's never watched to see what takes them, but we have wedgies and so on <laughs> around as well. And, 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so it goes. So if you're not poisoning them, and the key is to not poison and them. And that's the point, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, just, you could just easily go for the off-the-shelf rat killer thing. Mm. And, look, I'll put my hand up and say I do do that. Do you? Yeah. 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 Oh, we're so... I'm going to look into the New Zealand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll text you the name. Please I don't do, have yeah. it on me. But yeah, it, I've got the, the link. It's as well. a fabulous thing, and it's very small. Yeah. And they send it out with um, a whole lot of little test sheets. So you you nail the test sheets around the place where you think it, you know it might be next to your compost. Yep. Or your worm farm. Or, yeah, I mean that's the or, thing. Isn't yeah. It? So yeah. and then uh, you see where it most gets nibbled. And then you put the unit there. It's only small. It's only about 20 centimetres tall. And you okay. just screw it onto a post or something. Because we, we planted a whole bunch of seedlings and next day mm. gone. Oh. Yeah. You know, it's like they're really, it's just really demoralising. Yeah, it's demoralising. Yeah. yeah. I had my entire corn crop last year um, eaten. The whole thing just Rat- completely, smashed. yeah, R- completely smashed. Ratted. Yeah, ratted. It was, it was terrible because oh. <laughs> we'd been away. Yeah. We got back and they were all, all the cobs are on there, just all peeled back like, like bananas and completely eaten. Happy rats. Yeah, very ha- happy fat rats. Yeah, yeah. We have our first caller. So we will say good morning to Andrew in Montmorency. Are you there, Andrew? Um, yes, I am. Good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? Good, thank you. Um, I, I did look at those rat traps. Uh, that you're talking about uh, after they were mentioned the other week. They're a couple of hundred dollars, but they do last um, multiple times over a, a long period, so mm. they seem to be a good investment. Yeah, all, all you have um, to do is replace the little the little um, canisters. CO2 canisters. Yeah. 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 Yep. And how long do the canisters um, last? Oh, I don't know, maybe 20 strikes or something like that. Right. Sorry, Andrew, keep going. That's, that's fine, yeah, it was just uh, off topic there. Um, look, I've got a flourishing um, horseradish plant. I'm just not sure when to harvest. When do you start to attack the roots to get them out? Yeah, you can you can do it now. We have um, a horseradish that grows underneath our orchard. Um, you can start doing it now. Uh, that's fine. Um, okay. If you, if you dig them up, uh, make sure you wear gloves and yep. uh, even eye protection. Really? <laughs> it's good to say don't scratch. Don't rub your eyes. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah. Okay. It can be horrendously uh, strong. The horseradish. Okay. Just a yep. brassic acid. Is it? Is it that kind of? Y- yeah. Like yeah. That's the, right. It's the sap or the. And, and yeah, it's the raw ingredient within the roots. Yeah, right. That. that um, and that and I, I then just leave the, a remnant there to continue to grow. Yes. I, once you've got it, um, very difficult to get rid of. Okay. So right. the, the chances of you um, killing it off, you only need to leave a small root in the ground and, um, and it'll keep going. It'll keep going. We, we've only really harvested it a couple of times because the thing that we've always struggled with was how you store it because if you don't store it, well, if you don't treat it well and store it well, of course you can end up with all sorts of bacteria and so on okay. within it. It's like making anything. 
um, yeah. and, and storing it away. So it's, it always makes me a little bit nervous, but it, it's it's beautiful, mm. but it's a, it's a lot right, of work yeah. chopping it all up. But it's the root. It's the it's the root. Tuba? Yeah, it's yeah. the root. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Mm. And my other question is, I've, I've just uh, I'm trying to uh, grow uh, wasabi. And I've got a plant that looks quite healthy, but I'm I'm not sure that I have it in uh, the right situation. It's uh, a way it only gets minimal daylight. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep it well watered. It's in a really well drained uh, pot, but I'm not sure. I think that the wind might be getting to it. Can you help me a little bit around that? Look, I've not grown wasabi. It's not something that I could I could comment on. I'm sorry. No, me neither. Yeah. I haven't grown it either. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So but maybe it I, might okay. need a bit of protection. Yeah, I'm, it'd be worth looking up where it grows naturally. Yeah. That'd be the yeah. first port of call. Yeah, it's it, in, it, in bogs and things like that. Is, a, is it okay? And it's also probably uh, a warm climate plant, I suspect. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I just quickly Googled it and it said, Wasabi, why invest in the hardest plant to grow? I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, a sucker. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's really worth trying yeah, no, those sorts right. of things. <laughs> Indeed. So it sounds like yeah. it might All be right. a, a bit challenging, but I, it, it, yeah, warmth, warmth, warmth and sun. Uh, I can't imagine that it'd like to be too frosty. And, and yeah, if, so we're not in a frosty zone, so... Mm. If it's a bog plant, you can you can just put it in a large pot that that you seal the base on. Put um, put rocks on top of the potting mix, and you can just keep it full full of water that way. A bit like how you grow oh, okay. a Vietnamese mint yep. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yep. just stop the drainage. All mm. right, I shall struggle on with it. Mm. Good, good luck. Keep us posted. Thank you. Thanks, Andrew. Bye. And we've got a few more callers coming in, so we will go to Virginia in Seville. Hello. <laughs> dead air. Are you going to get some dead air? You're going to get, get stuck into us for being quiet for three minutes. <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. <laughs> I just wanted to comment on rats. Go. I have. I had a bit of a disaster this week where I had no water. And when the electrician came in, he said, Oh, my God, don't touch the shed. Ah. The whole shed had gone live. (laughs) Oh, boy. The rats had been into the wiring. And I spent the whole of, well, not the whole, but one of my main projects during during lockdown was making my vegetable garden rat-proof. And I can't tell you how hard it was. (laughs) Yeah. But I have done it because I won't poison. Because if you look around nowadays, there are fewer and fewer owls. And it's because they keep, all the rats mm. and the mice keep getting poisoned and they eat them. We used to have, we used to have owls everywhere and they're just not around anymore. Mm. So, so what, I really think there must be a call out to people not to poison because what, you're what, poisoning the birds. What's your strategy, Virginia, for, for managing rats? Just, just out, I, of, out did, of interest. I did have a really nice situation where somebody caught them and took them for their snakes. Right. But, un- but unfortunately, he sold his snakes, and that doesn't work anymore. <laughs> um, I do. I track them. Okay. And it has worked, and then I drown them, and I find that totally horrendous. Mm. Mm. I'm not very. I'm not. I, you know, <laughs> I'm not a proper country girl. <laughs> <laughs> City farmer. And I might add, I've got flowers on my eggplants, but nothing else. Yeah, well, that, that's the same with, with us, yeah, just, just yes. the flowers. 
Yeah. But but I have I have managed to keep the rats out of the vegetable garden, and you know it's layers and layers of different size wire and tin mm. and you know that's, yeah. that's been the only way. Look, I, um, the the chook run that I, I built over COVID, um, I, I've attempted to make it rat proof. Yeah, which is well. on Instagram. On well, Instagram. is it on there? I think so. Uh, okay. <laughs> um, and basically, I made all the walls slope outwards. Um, oh, yes. the, the fence around it, and yes. um, I, I got corrugated iron and drove yes. back and forwards on it with the with the car <laughs> to flatten the corrugations out. <laughs> and then you just bought flat. I mean, no, I had this. I, no, no, I actually good. built Recycle. the whole thing out of recycled, awesome. apart from the wire. Okay. I had to buy the wire, no, so that, that was, was the aim. Of course, we were in lockdown, yeah, so course. you had to use what you had kicking around, which I have a lot of junk kicking around. <laughs> Obviously. Exactly. <laughs> um, and yeah, drove back and forwards on it, made it quite flat, yep. then nailed that so it was on about a 10-degree angle back. Yep. Um, and that so far has worked, but, the, but mice get in. Okay. So I used bird wire, but we still, we still have mice. I'm pretty sure there's no rats in there. Mm. I'm quite confident there's no rats, but there's certainly mice. Yeah. Mm. So, but mice well, are all right. I don't, I I don't, don't mind, mind the, the, mice. Old, the old mouse. Mm. They're quite cute. When you, when you say your chook run, this mm. is not just a standard chook run. This no. is the Taj Mahal of, of chicken. <laughs> I think it's bigger than the Taj Mahal. Oh, it is <laughs> yeah. remarkable. Yep. Like, for, those, for those that have got access to Instagram, have a look. Mm. It's, it's a work. It's a body of work. Yeah, look, I mean, the whole thing, the whole it, why the little house looks kooky as well is because it had to be on that angle because <laughs> everything had to be on that outward slope. So it looks a bit like the old Edamoga pub. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it looks like it's about to fall over. It's got a very small footprint. Um, but it's worked really, really well. So yeah. it, it's based on um, the old permaculture principles. I mean, you know, I've got that book when it, from when it first came out, mm-hmm. um, and they call them tractors. So, so I've got 100 square metres, and it's divided into five spaces. So four spaces are parallel to each other, and they all have gates into the area where the actual chook house is and then another narrower run. Um, and so you can plant each, each of oh, the four areas. Okay. Um, and it's, so far it's been really successful. So um, I usually end up having about two out of the four for the chickens to be in, and then I, I just shut one down the other day, so now they've got one. Gee, the chickens um, must be happy when they move into the vegetation. Oh, it's unbelievable. They be, run. Yeah. They, <laughs> they run in there. Um, and uh, and it's, it's, it'll be a good video. One of these days I'll do a video because it takes them about a week to just to, destroy it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It, it, it does remind me of a little early when we were talking about the zoo. The but zoo, that, yes. But that might have been yeah. dead air. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that know. Might, that might have been dead air. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the gorillas were like that, weren't they? I mean, you put a plant in there, yeah. whoop, it was gone. And they put on all this weight, and it yeah. was like, but it was a phenomenal thing to see. Yeah. Like gorillas moving into a, they'd come out of this environmentally barren cage, and they mm. were surrounded with vegetation, breaking down the gingers and just eating yeah. them. It was quite remarkable. Yeah, I yeah. remember being in that enclosure, because we used to have to go in early in the morning to do the gardening. 
and they'd be banging on the doors. Oh, yeah. <laughs> banging on the, 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 these steel doors, yeah. looking yeah. out at you, yeah. and yeah. you think, oh my god, I hope that I hope door that holds. Done up. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where will I run? Nowhere. <laughs> there is nowhere to go. <laughs> I'll just climb it. It's not going to work. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh yeah, that was that was a, that was interesting gardening. It was interesting at gardening. the zoo. Yeah, yeah. very very interesting gardening. <laughs> I want to talk to you about the zoo garden, but we must say thank you to Virginia for calling in, and um, I'll talk to you after the show. <laughs> Indeed, I'll wander in. Thanks, Jin. See ya. And we have another caller, and that is Bill from Reservoir. Are you still there, Bill? Uh, yes, I am. Just got a fairly simple question. Wondering what to do with old potting mix. It would have grown daffodils, petunias mm. and all that. Uh, wondering whether I should throw it in the garden or exactly what would you you would do with it. I would put it in the garden. I put old potting mix into uh, parts of the vegetable garden. Uh, I find it really, really good to be in the veggie garden, yeah, because it lightens up the soil. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I don't bury it. Yeah. No, it's more as a mulch. A mulch, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. And then it slowly breaks down and even further. And uh, I find, especially if you've got an area that maybe compacts a little bit, it's really handy for that. Because usually say don't put potting mix into garden beds because it can mess with the, the soil in your garden bed. Okay. But I, I if that potting mix is older, it's probably lost those properties. I don't know why that would be. I mean, the only reason would be if it was a very woody potting mix and you buried it, you know, sort of below... 200 millimetres and then mm. you ended up with anaerobic conditions. Mm. That would be the only sort of downer, unless unless it was coming out of something that was riddled with disease. Yeah. Mm. That would be the only other thing. But I think if you're just using it at home and you're growing bits and bobs, uh, I would absolutely put it into the mm. in, anywhere on the garden as mulch. It, do, it does oh, talk to that uh, issue of if a plant dies um, in, in a pot and a, a plant dies because it's has a pathogen, um, you know, the the potential is that if you transfer that pot, potting mix in and around your garden, you might be spread, spreading the pathogen. Perhaps. You know, but perhaps. Yeah. yeah that's, that's, yep. that, that might be a bit of a risk. Yeah. And that really speaks oh. to, you know, the whole compost and compost standards and, you know, all yeah. of those things that we were, I think we were about to touch on. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot for that. Thanks, Bill. Talk to you later. Now, we have a special caller on the line. Evan, do you want to give us a bit of a rundown on who this special yeah. special guest is? So we have Chris Williams from Burnley, and my apologies, Chris, I don't know your title, but I'm sure you'll fill us in. Um, last week or the week before, um, Penny Woodward was here, and there was some talk about uh, compost, in uh, particularly central Victoria, mm. where there were some issues with it being bought, put into gardens and plants promptly turning up their toes. And I did a little bit of ringing around and uh, Chris Williams' name from Burnley came up uh, and I was told he's the full bottle on this subject. <laughs> and uh, he is um, was was very willing to come in and, and, and have a chat. We can't have him in the studio due to COVID uh, restrictions, but um, uh, he's called in. He is called in. I believe he's on the line. Chris, are you there? I am. Hi, everyone. Hi. Thank Hi, you Chris. for joining us this morning. No, no, absolute pleasure. Chris, could you start off by letting us know what your position at Burnley <laughs> yeah. is? Absolutely. So, actually, technically, I'm, a, I'm an honorary fellow, but I'm a lecturer 
uh, in urban horticulture, specialising in um, urban agriculture, and I have some uh, research and outreach projects uh, where I'm based at Burnley. So, yeah, that's my complex title. Fantastic. <laughs> now, I'm told by um, my um, ex-Burnley uh, lecturer uh, friend, Peter May, Dr Peter May, uh, yes. um, that um, you're all over this uh, topic of... Um, uh, issues with compost in central Victoria. Can you can you fill us in a little bit about what Absolutely. you know? Yeah, well, in, in, I'm, in fact, Peter is, as we all know, those of us studied at Burnley. I mean, he's the true expert on everything, and <laughs> I've, which I've, is why I rang him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so I've become knowledgeable about this issue only because uh, what is it now? Four years ago, um, I run the what is. Is it the contemporary version of the old Burnley Veggie Plot program for students? So, uh, people who studied at Burnley, especially in the old advanced diploma, which became the associate degree, the classic two-year Burnley qualification, which is now gone, unfortunately, sadly. But I run a. We used to, you know, always grow veggies in their own five square metre plot that goes right back to the 50s, and a version of crop going right goes right back to 1891, which is just an extraordinary tradition. Anyway, I revived that program in the master's program. That we have at Burnley, the Master in Urban Horticulture, and we buy in pea straw as mulch because there's a whole range of things we're trying to teach students about. And that pea straw four years ago mm. had been oversprayed with a Dow chemical product called Lontrol, right? The clove that's the actual herbicide. And the residue, and we could talk about why that pea straw was sprayed maybe at the time, but anyway, the residue from that pea straw um, made tomatoes and um, Tomatoes mainly and peas and beans completely deform. Mm, right. And it took a lot of detective work to try and, you know, because we thought maybe the council has sprayed and it's drifted across the fence. But what's critical to understanding this problem is it affected gardeners in central Victoria, but not, not just there, actually, with the little sort of um, spot fires across Melbourne as well, is that it doesn't affect all plant families the same. Okay. Mm. So... Solanaceae, so tomatoes, nightshade family, badly affected. Everything in the Fabaceae, in so peas and beans, badly affected. And then you get mixed results with some other plant families. And then brassicas and uh, grasses are almost 100% immune, not all of them, but close enough so that that explains why these chemicals even exist, because they're broadly herbicides, so they're largely developed for agriculture. So if you're a yeah. broad acre cereal cropping farmer, you can overspray a you know, recently germinated wheat crop with these particular class of herbicides um, and you know you can kill off thistles and whatever else between the you know, I mean, wheat crop and still get a good wheat crop if that makes sense. So yeah so I just I had to look into this and I and our, our veggies eventually uh, came good some of them because it was a very minor residue problem and we did testing with, with sacrificial broad beans and tomatoes and up to this soil test and as it's meant to happen, eventually the herbicide that had leached into the soil was broken down by microorganisms. So, you know, we're back, we've been back to normal for years now. But as a result, every year with the, with the uh, broker the, or the agent who, who finds the peace drawer across Victoria, we have a little conversation. Can you please ask the grower what the chemical regime is? You know, it's become this kind of alarming thing once a year. And I think that that was a very rare situation. But at the same time, I had a student in that class that said, oh, you know, oh my God, I've just been done in by pony club manure that has essentially deformed the whole, you know, thousands of dollars worth of expenditure on a new orchard. 
So again, I looked into it it's globally what, what's happening and you discover that in California there was a terrible situation where green waste compost, um, curbside green waste bin, was being contaminated by, you know, literally hundreds of thousands, millions of homes using broadacre, these broadacre chemicals on lawn care. Yeah, okay. So in California they had to ban them, ban them at the domestic level because green waste compost was being... Um, Contaminated, and a lot of market gardeners were doing the right thing, trying to put more organic matter into the soil and getting to form crops. So that's the only reason I, someone told them that there's this guy at Burnley who's been affected by this and kind of knows what he's talking about. So that, that, that's really interesting, Chris, just reflecting on sort of home gardeners yeah. that do the, the kaiku you weed and feed. Um, mm. Clip the lawn, take the lawn clippings, put them into their compost heap. You wouldn't that's be right. well, you, you wouldn't be recommending that as a practice. Well, again, I mean, this, this is where it's still really complex, and um, you know, we're we're trying at, at Burnley at the moment trying to um, work out a way to set up a group that can study this situation in all its complexity, right? Because so what happened was, by the way, that I was sort of hoping that um, when this situation developed and I got onto the Facebook group soil contamination Victoria that actually it was because it was veggie mixes so it wasn't just the pure compost so if you're thinking about mm. a manure compost mix causing a problem I thought well hopefully in a weird way it's the manure right because then you can mm. you know, so that, like I said about the pony club situation because um, then you could have a system where you certify landholders or rather they have a certification system that's what they do in the UK as a yeah. response to this issue so you had hundreds of or thousands of allotments gardens, you know, the sort of European version of community gardens being affected because there was a big uptake of these broadacre chemicals um, in England on pasture. So they just said, okay, if you're getting manure off a farm to make a a manufactured soil, you must certify that you haven't used these particular class of chemicals. So, Mm. But it turned out not to be the case here, at least not in this instance, because when uh, Suez, who has the big windrow piles of... um, Compost, uh, mm. the comp- make the compost component look into it. They discovered that there's this whole the compost itself, its origin, is organic matter from green waste bins. So when you say green waste, compost. that's curbside curbside recycling, curbside, the green lid yeah. bin. Exactly. Wow. So, so that's just really alarming. So could it also be coming from turf farms then as well? I mean, because when when you obviously yeah. dethatch turf farms, I imagine that material must be quite good for using for commercial compost. So this, exactly, that needs to be looked into too. So, so yes, because interestingly enough, a contact of mine in a um, Melbourne Council that shall remain nameless looked into it, and he's a, actually did an apprenticeship on a golf course, um, and now as a sort of head, head gardener or a team leader of a gardening team. And he just went and asked the turfies, to use that term, um, in that council, mm-hmm. what do they do with the thatch, you know, in the grooming process, as they call it. And he said, yeah, and they use all those chemicals and it all goes into green waste. Mm. So, but other councils I've talked to say, no, our guys don't do that. So, but yeah, turf farms for sure. I mean, and I think what's interesting is that, oh, sorry, the other thing I should say is that anecdotally I've talked to a few people who say, and these are often ex-students who are now running very successful horticulture and landscaping businesses for, you know, the residential market. Again, it's anecdotal, but they've said, yeah, there's been a big um, upswing in interest in if that's just a fanatical US-style lawn care by clients, usually, mm. well, let's be honest, 100% men. 
<laughs> That's <laughs> right. You said it. That's right. Mowers and chainsaws. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm going to gender it. Going hard. <laughs> it's a bloke thing. Um, I'm sure there's some fanatical uh, lawn women out there too, so don't get angry at me. But no, but it really... It, it, so they're saying, yeah, wow, we have clients who are like, want advice, they're really into it. They were, and, and um, you know, semi a little bit concerned now. They're thinking, wow, now we're using all these lawn care chemicals, which are all the same as used in agriculture. And I've, you know, I'm, I'm talking about things like you know, MCPA, Dicamba, 24D, to a small extent. Wow. Um, but the professional lawn care websites have the full range of yeah. these, these classes, these classes herbicides. So the panoxy herbicides and the pyridine ones, they all mimic natural plant hormones and send plants into a kind of death spiral by sort of like hyping them up. That's my non-technical way of explaining okay. it. So, yeah, I mean, so, the, so, so just sorry, very quickly, huh? just that point, uh, the issue is what do we, the questions that we need to ask, the sort of hypothesis, if you like, uh, have bored, people bored out of their brains from lockdown suddenly started buying these lawn care products to such an extent that, that they're you know, putting them on their lawns, putting the clippings in green waste, mm. or is it, as you said, turf farms or, you know, whatever it is, have we crossed some threshold? There oh, you go. Wow. Are, are these, um, questions and aside, mm. these um, curbside composting, have they been yep. hot composted or have they just gone through, like, the proper hot composting system or are they just been shredded and, you know, left to, in a pile to break down for a while? Because there's some local yeah. councils have contracts with um, uh, waste management companies that do the, exactly. the proper hot composting where it gets up to 65, 70 degrees. And that'll kill pathogens. Yeah. But, and that kills stuff. But that will, would that kill inorganic herbicide right. so residue? Yeah. Okay, so this is... Actually, weirdly, just before I came on, I had an email from someone in America who saw an online article about all this and I haven't read it properly, but he's suggesting that you might, there are ways to compost it to get rid of these um, residues, these herbicides. But my understanding up until this point has been that, especially actually in the American experience, that, that frequently they can survive the hot composting. Because all the, as you say, the contracts to turn green waste into compost, it's just essentially giant windrows of all material mm. that's mm. turned over, reaching those temperatures and, you know, and breaking down relatively quickly. Um, but so, unfortunately, sometimes these chemicals aren't even detectable, but they still have the impact. Like, mm. they're tiny parts per million. Mm. So, again, so I suppose, like, the, the techniques or technology around potentially breaking them down needs to be looked at and perhaps in terms of standards. But, but really, the only way to know for sure... I mean, I, I try and compare it to, like, diagnosing Parkinson's disease, which I believe is still only diagnosed by symptoms there's no actual concrete diagnostic test. The same with this, that you, you you don't have to necessarily do an expensive soil test. You just simply plant sacrificial things like broad beans or, you know, um, tomatoes or whatever into the, into the compost, and then if you get the deformity symptoms, that's it. That's all the evidence you need. And how so, does it take for those symptoms to show up? Uh, well, in the, in the situation uh, I experienced, at Burnley with the pea straw, it was, I think it was about two and a half weeks. So we okay. had everything in the ground. And then all of a sudden, with, the, with tomatoes, it's really alarming. It looks like the kind of foliage is being diffused, like sort of like when you melt, melt plastic soldiers when you're a kid. Oops, that's my childhood. <laughs> um, and, um, 
but it is. It's sort of like that. Um, yeah, it's just really, it's disturbing. It's one of those things you think, oh, no, that's yeah. not a disease. That's something really. It's, 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 it, it is disturbing. Oh, it is. It? Look, I'm thinking, okay, so you buy compost. It's got the five accredited ticks and that there's a yeah. level of comfort there. But, I, 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 you know, I, we don't want to be alarmist here, but um, no, it, it is... It, it's, this is a concern. This is a, 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 it could be a phenomenon. It, it really could be. And I think even if... You know, I've heard a couple of people argue that sort of it's just a one-off, the bad batch syndrome. Maybe there was a turf farm involved or, or something happened. Um, but I, I sort of... For me, it's been a big wake-up call um, because uh, actually, thanks to Peter May, I used to deliver a one-off, a one-off turf lecture at Burnley for many years, you know, um, but never covered, and so that was just sort of the basics of. Actually, I guess in looking back on it, kind of non-chemical based lawn care, like don't don't cut your turf too low, yep. recycle the clippings back on, all that good stuff. Get kind of cultural good. practices ahead of cultural practice, yeah. exactly. And now, and now I've suddenly realised, oh wow, that's the benign turf care that that out there still, and people have, and as I think um, one of you guys used the expression for weed and speed. A lot of these chemicals that you really need to follow the label very carefully just sound so kind of, yeah, benign that you just, you know, you weed and feed and you just think this is... But in fact, looking through all the products that, you know, the Big Green Temple, all the Bunnings, um, that are still available, um, you think, oh, wow, like, these are all there. It's not it's not clear. I don't. I think people, particularly as people become very concerned about glyphosate, they're not, they don't realise mm. that probably there's a deadlier class of chemicals that's now yeah. still available. So, yeah. Um, but So, yeah, so, yeah I, th- I think the issue is that whatever the case is, whatever the detective work shows with this situation, I do think there's another, an educational process that has to be developed around using these lawn care products. Because I think mm. gardening has gone so organic, if you will, over the last 10 to 20 years, mm. more, more and more. Yeah. That maybe this is an area where, as I say, as someone who works in the discipline and educates people in this area, I've just completely neglected this side of horticulture that is still out there. So just just coming back to the peace straw, because yes. I, I would say ninety um, percent of organic gardeners, mm-hmm. home gardeners, use peace straw mm-hmm. as a mulch. I mean, yes. it's a it's a wonderful mulch, which is probably why you were yes. using it at, at Burnley. What you know. Why? Why would they have sprayed it? <laughs> First of all, you know, and and uh, is there certified um, product available that's going to say that it doesn't, it hasn't been treated with these chemicals? Yeah. So, so this um, because in this case, the person I bought the picture off is not the grower. So, it, my memory of it is that. Um, you know, he's trying to get his head around it as well because he's absolutely horrified mm. that this was a real off-label use of, and it's this practice that in America anyway it's legal like for example to overspray say a wheat crop with, with Roundup or glyphosate to hasten ripening right um, really? so, so deliberate <laughs> yeah so deliberate that's actually it's good isn't it? Still, oh look there's a you know, we, we say that people don't know how their food's produced. Boy, I mean, there's an example for you. But um, yeah. that's illegal in Australia. And if someone pointed out to me, it's partly because our so-called, you know, um, you know, dry farming or sort of rain-fed agriculture doesn't really need, you know, our climate's so hot, we don't really need to overspray. 
but heard like so it seemed like the, this peace draw case that the the had, basically it was a bad peace draw crop. There was a lot of weeds in it, and the grower, the farmer, just thought, oh, I'll just over spray with a bit of um, you know clopyrrolid, and that'll kill off the broadleaf weeds, and I'll finish off the peace draw. Just just dodgy, basically. I just say, and so very extremely unusual for that to occur. So, but again. Because um, I remember when the bats arrived, I thought it's really light and weird. It's no peas in it. Oh. Just, I, I just and full of you know sometimes you get a, a bale of pea straw or something, you can see the weeds, the, you know the, the non-pea straw uh, plants yes. in it. So mm. I can remember thinking, oh, this is not, not quality stuff. So, but again, I, I haven't heard of anyone else experiencing that problem. Um, so, but perhaps it brings up the issue, which I think is important for. Everything is, you know, like ask questions of, of your input, right? Like, so if you're buying external products to, to be, you know, an organic gardener, you really should be asking. Well, I would never take manure off a of a farm um, unless I knew for sure that they that, that livestock horses, for example, weren't eating straw uh, or whatever or, or hay from. Uh, you know, from another property, perhaps that it had the sprays, or that the pasture itself hadn't been sprayed with board for less herbicide. Yeah, I think compost needs. Yeah, I know. When I first heard of it, I thought oh, horse manure. You know, obviously horses aren't going out for human consumption, mm. um, so they're probably spraying their paddocks with whatever because it's not yeah. really restricted. That was my first thought um, that that's where it was coming from, but. Do you think that that is a possibility, that, it, or is it, or is it that these uh, large suppliers uh, of compost aren't using manures because they just have so much uh, variety of their green well, waste? This is it. So as far as I'm aware, at least with Suez, who are the company most affected, and have been extremely transparent and right onto this very quickly, they don't actually make the mixes. Mm. They just supply the green waste compost. I mean, there's still a possibility, say, that if say, uh, someone else making mixes um, buys green waste origin compost and then uses manure from another source that's contaminated, that so there could be multiple reasons for this contamination. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, that, that's why it's so clear once it's This is amazing, and I'd just like to remind listeners that you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show, and we have um, a guest online at the moment, Dr. Chris Williams. John, do you have Chris, um, just maybe flipping to talk about Burnley as a, 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 yeah, sure. a, a, as a garden. Um, you know, Burnley is one of the great public gardens in, in Melbourne, but I'm, it, it's probably in terms of uh, gardens, maybe, maybe Melbourne's best kept secret. Um, it is a public garden, and people can walk in uh, at any time during the day and uh, use it as a botanic garden, as a public garden, as a green space. Yeah, absolutely. Normally I'd be saying, shush, John, what are you doing? Keep what? <laughs> Put the walls up. <laughs> yeah, because the, the secret is out. Uh, you know, lockdown, I was very lucky. I was lucky enough to have a, a permit to go into Burnley for first and second lockdown and um, saw it with my own eyes how... Suddenly, people have discovered the garden, nice. and they were extremely popular, which is great. It needs these spaces need to be used and appreciated. Mm. 
And you're right. It's it's really um, one of the one of the great um, heritage gardens in Melbourne. Um, you know, it's got diverse sort of zones. It's got a very kind of Guilfoyle-esque sort of botanic garden section. It's got a, a red gum, uh, you know, a big a canopy of the remnant river red gums with a reconstructed grassland underneath. Um, you know, beautiful big spikers of California redwood, sebaceous border. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's just extremely, um, yeah, it's like a little sanctuary, little oasis, but it also sort of captures that. It has those layers that you don't see in so much, yeah. uh, so many parks in Melbourne. So you've really got that understory shrub layer and then big trees. And I think that's why people just find it so attractive. They wind their way through. So, we yeah, and you're right. It, it, it looks like that you're arriving in a sort of place that you shouldn't be because there's, there's buildings there and obviously um, lecture theatres or whatever, but it is absolutely open uh, all year round. We were doing a straw poll earlier <laughs> as to what our favourite yeah. plant at Burnley was. Uh, but, but we'll let you open the batting. What's your favourite plant at, at Burns? Well, OK, so I'm going to... I'm just going to add very quickly, there's also the same field station out the back, yeah. which is locked. But I have a lot of my own special plants down there, but that's just way too biased. Yeah, yeah. So only for those, you know, rank has its privileges or something. Um, no, I think I think my favourite tree is the big ficus macrophylla because it it's it's up on a sort of raised bed that would be 120 or 30 years old, like a, a, a basalt over basalt rocks, and just yeah. it does that. The roots oozing over that, I absolutely love. Yeah. Great, um, yeah. and, a, and a small shout out, as they say, to Vitex lucens, which is a New Zealand tree, nice. which is Beautiful quite, quite a new, yeah. Nice. And allegedly, or apparently, possums don't like them. <gasps> so I had, so <laughs> I've been growing a few. Yeah, there you go. But anyway, that's my favourite. And vitex. where is the Vitex in the gardens? Uh, so the Vitex is, um, if you if you find the herbaceous border. Hmm. Uh, over the oak lawn, so there's the famous big oak, and then it's to the left, so heading east or southeast, and it's, it's, so it faces, faces west and really shines up, and when it's got the red berries and the kind of red flowers, it, it, it's just, and that sort of horizontal branching structure, I just think it's a, a tree that, um, or a species that deserves to be used a bit more. It's a, I mean, it's, it's a New Zealand thing. Yet seems to yeah. be very, very adaptable to amenable to horticulture in in a, a hot and dry climate. There's a beautiful one in Ripponlea Gardens. Yeah. Vitex. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah. There you go, Chloe. Well, I think we all came up with. Chris, we all came up with the same plant as our favourite plant in Burnley Gardens. Which is pathetic, no isn't it? There was no diversity in opinion, and it was, drumroll, <laughs> Agathus, Rob- Agathus Robusta. Oh, how, I mean, in a way, wow, yeah, no, I'm, I'm actually, I'm going to change my mind. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, um, that trunk is stunning, yeah. and the foliage on Agathus is beautiful, yep. and, you know, Jurassic. Yeah. It's one of those yeah, trees you just have to pat the, the trunk. Yep. Oh. Agathus yeah. always have that effect on me. There's a really good one in Albury Botanic Garden as, as well, a mm. huge one, yep. and you just have to go up and touch it. Yep. it it's like a huge elephant leg yep. or something. Yeah, yeah. remarkable. Yeah, they, uh, um, I, I took a guy from Cuba around the garden a couple of years ago, and he actually... He, he, you know how there's the two big Agathus there? There's the one... There's, I think, the one you're thinking of, which is the... 
looked yeah, incredibly Jurassic. And then there's the other big one further back. Anyway, he, he, he just blew him away. Yeah. Mm. Believe it. So. Mm. Um, Chris, thank you so much for your time today and your wisdom. We are very grateful for you calling in. Maybe one day we'll get you in the studio if everyone gets vaccinated. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, when I get the jab, I've done some early morning shifts in there, so I miss uh, the occasional yeah. you know, Sunday morning. So, yeah, thanks so much. It was yep. really good talk. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank, thanks, Chris. Great, Chris. Okay, thanks. Bye. And just that number again, I think we might have some callers coming in. So if anyone has any comments or wants to talk about compost or anything else, you're listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. And if you want to talk to us, the number is 94190155. How good is Burnley? Yeah. Yeah. How important is Burnley and what, what the contribution that Burnley has made to urban horticulture in Australia, the world? Mm. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, and it keeps—they just keep minimising the the courses that they run. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that that. Uh, in fact, I I actually had to look for my certificate um, to join an organisation a while ago. Uh, I can't find it. So you don't have it up <laughs> in your, your front hallway. <laughs> no, it's no. Not, it's not framed behind yeah. you. Not, no, no, it's somewhere. Room. It'll be somewhere. I'm sure. Is it at your mum's place on her <laughs> mantelpiece? I doubt that too. <laughs> Um, but uh, I rang Melbourne Uni, uh, this is prior to Christmas, and I said, look, um, I, I need my, you know, Bachelor of Applied Science yes, yes. Um, certificate. Yeah, could you, oh, because it's an absorbed organisation, blah, 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 we might or might not have it. Um, it'll, we'll need like two months or something oh. to locate it, and it'll cost you 100 bucks. Yeah. something to look for it, which the 100 bucks is fine, but yeah. it's like... Gee, you know, it, it's, it is. It's it's just been absorbed, yep. mm. and it's just this little drawer in the side of their their university but, um, but now. What which, a rich drawer! Oh, I know yeah, it is. It like still capacity, annoys me though. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the capacity of the lecturers, the you know, just the standard of of uh, integrity and horticultural mm. knowledge, and you know, it's yeah, and you know, as demonstrated with Chris, mm. yeah. I mean, that's that was a, that was magnificent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and just let's hope it just keeps keeps chuffing over and, yeah, guys like Chris to, to keep that going. I was fortunate. I was there really in in its heyday, I think in modern times yeah. anyway. Um, you know, we had James Hitchmore and John Patrick and Peter May and um, Jeff Cannellan yeah. and all yeah, these, you know, guns of the of yeah. the horticultural world Greg, of the, of the time. Greg Moore, of yeah. course, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and, and I hope that it, that it will gain that back again. Yeah. And the gardens, you know, to go in there, you really should, you know, people should go in and have a look. It is stunning. It's like a miniature botan- Melbourne Botanic oh, Garden. Oh, it feels truly. like a Botanic Garden? Yeah. Well, yeah. it is a Botanic Garden. Well, it is. It's actually registered. Yeah. As look, a yep. Okay. And since, since COVID, the number of enrolments in horticulture landscaping courses through TAFE up into uni sector has mm. absolutely skyrocketed because everyone's, Either gone, all right, now's an opportunity to have a career change. I don't want to be sitting in front of a desk all day in a, you know, multi-storey office. Mm, mm. And they want to be outside in their gardens yeah. and they want to do that for their job. Yeah. I've had, I work, teach at Melbourne Polytechnic and we've had a number of students that were thinking of changing anyway but lost their jobs last year. There's an opportunity to go and study and yeah. they want to work in horticulture. They just want a mm. garden. They just yeah. want to. That's great. Days. Yeah. 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 
That's so a we might see a, a surge in Burnley courses or something reopening. Yeah. We can only know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, let's hope so. Something of a silver lining. Yeah. Just, just that reconnecting with nature, and I mean, there were some some real benefits, social benefits coming out of out, out, out of the lockdown. Yeah. Mm. You know, that getting in touch with your garden. Mm. Getting uh, in touch with your neighbours because they're the only people you could see. I learned that my neighbour two doors down has beehives in his backyard. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'll have some honey, please, when that's ready. So your your COVID project was the Chook House. That's right. Did you have a COVID project? Um, controlling the peach leaf curl. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep. That's right. Yeah. Leaf by leaf by leaf by leaf. Leaf by leaf by leaf. <laughs> and, but, and I've been doing a bit of writing as well. So oh, nice. that kept me very busy. Theme? It was mm. raining gardening. <laughs> <laughs> What was your COVID project? Uh, I built a cubby house for um, our granddaughter and grandson, all Very out nice. of recycled materials. Fantastic. Yep. Yep. So, yep. It was fun. Yep. <laughs> not quite on the same scale, but it's not bad. <laughs> I've been collecting material for it for about five years, <laughs> including an old fence. You know, old fence palings, hardwood fence palings are the best building material. Oh, yeah. You know, they're already... 50 years old, yeah. and, uh, you know, you've got to drill everyone to put a nail in them. And but even, they, the, even the red gum posts that oh, they, come, they come with, you know. Magnificent. You, you, you saw those open, and they're still red gum. Yeah, still yeah. Intact. It's yeah, the amazing yeah. thing about old timber, isn't it? Yeah. You know, the moment you clean it back, bang, it's, it's yeah. perfect again. Yeah. 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 Fabulous. We've had a couple of callers come in. We lost Thelma from Oak Park, so Thelma, if you call us back if you want to. But we will welcome on to the line Vic in Maribyrnong. You there, Vic? Oh, you're calling me. Here yeah, he comes. Come on, Tom, oh, down. Bill told me there was going to be about a million in front of me. <laughs> no, no, you were first in line. Okay, listen, I've got a, I've got a problem. I've got a neighbour next door who grows all sorts of creepers. And um, <clears throat> I built myself a nice big compost bin, nearly about four or five metres long by about a bit over a metre wide with removable panels all the way down to the ground so it can be shoveled out of anywhere along its size. And uh, <clears throat> I've got all these millions of tonnes of this, a couple of about three or four varieties of creeper. Can I get rid of them in my compost bin or is that a big mistake? So, so this is after you've cut the creeper off the fence or, or, or whatever. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's that, yeah. It's those clippings and prunings. Out of the ground, yeah. Might, might be Do you better. reckon it's going to take off in there, or will I? Uh, pro- probably shouldn't take off, but you might you might want to um, uh, just kind of chop it up or mulch it up um, in order to sort of make good compost out of that material. It'd have to be a lot finer shredded, um, ra- rather than just the straight clippings off the vines. Or you could put it in an old bin or drum, fill oh, yeah. it with water, and you know make compost tea out of it to destroy the plant, you know that plant material and. Stop it. And then pour it in. Or pour well, then you just pour it straight onto the garden once it had totally, you know, um, broken no, down. I'll pour it into the compost bin to keep the compost wet in there. I, I would only do that if your compost is very dry because you don't want your compost to be too wet. You um, would just use it more as a, um, you know, a, a tonic throughout yeah. your garden, a conditioner. Because does it go anaerobic? Does it get a bit smelly? Poten- yeah. Potentially, yeah. Potentially, mm. yeah. What's, what's it smell like? Terrible. Um, uh, uh, yeah, stagnant water, water can, yeah. Yeah, can be musty. Yeah. Can be pretty rank depending on how long it's mm. been there. Uh, mm. um, once you pour it out onto the garden, sort of thing, the smell will go away yeah. pretty quick. Yeah. 
Yeah. But it does mm-hmm. sound like you've got uh, enough capacity in the compost heap to to be able to feed that in as um, as as feed material. Um, but yeah, you just need to make sure that it's, it's chopped up a bit. Um, yeah, well, I'll tell you what. Oh, well, I've got the type of machine I've got is the one that does palm fronds. Oh, so you've got a malt, you've got a, a chipper. Yeah, I've got the type of chipper that does palm Glorious. fronds. It's got the roller in there with the, yeah. it looks like a sprocket. Yeah, feedable. nice and slow. Yep. And it does a really, t- I reckon that's the best one. Forget the chippers, they make a lot of noise and they don't do a job <laughs> at all. And you only put about, what, 40 millimetre, 40 mil diameter uh branch in there and as soon as you come to a twig or a little bump on it it won't go in your machine yeah. I, I can't believe they make such a stupid piece of crap <laughs> <laughs> tell us what you really think right. <laughs> well I'll tell you what I customised the bloody thing I got <laughs> you remember when Bunnings sort of first opened and the monsters they got in and they got this real beauty uh, it's a, a Zito and, and, a, and I think the whole drum was about two and a half Oh, yeah, about two foot deep. And um, oh, it was a big machine. It cost about 400 bucks. And uh, I customised the top. Now I can put in a 75 mil up to 100 mil branch through it. But I have to feed it in carefully. Look, I wouldn't do that. You could cut that up for firewood, but it'll eat it. It'll eat that stuff. Like... Um, for argument's sake, I've got plenty of uh, monsteria, and I'm going to put that through there because I can't even give it away. I've got, I've got, I've got so much of it; nobody wants it. Um, Thanks for that. But, but, but no, no, no. But the reason I'm saying it, you know, these fibrous plants, you need something to, to chew it up well. But the stuff that put, the people put through that other type of uh, mulching machine—what do you call them? Chipper. Mm. But they make, they're, they're totally useless, and they're actually dangerous too, I reckon. Mm. Yeah. But, but great, these if you've got that... These things are, are much quieter and much more effective. But if you've got that bit of kit, all those creepers and things, feed them through and they'll be perfect in your compost. Yeah. Okay, and I'll put them in water. I'll, yeah. I'd like that. Yeah, That's put them in water. Yeah. Yep. All right, Vic, thanks for your thanks call. Vic, We've got a few more coming yeah, through, so we'll talk to you later. Um, we just had someone through on the text line asking about the gardeners at Melbourne Uni being replaced by contractors. John, you yeah, on the intel. Across the, yeah, yeah. I was contacted by Tim Ubergang, who is the curator of the Systems Garden yeah. at Melbourne Uni, which is a magnificent, um, magnificent other horticultural asset um, managed by Melbourne University, like Burnley. Yeah. Uh, and indeed, as a cost-cutting exercise, they're looking to outsource the maintenance of the university grounds. Right. Um, retaining some positions uh, as permanent positions, but essentially having a, a, an out, outsourced workforce. Mm. And this, I mean, that's, a, that's happened in local government. It's happened for, oh, for yeah. you know, 20 years ago that started to, to, to happen. Uh, and you know gardens can still be managed really well by contractors, so I'm not, it's not an anti-contractor thing. But but there, there has to be something said for having specialised skills. Yes. And it, and it's the, it's about the curatorial agenda. It's more than just sort of green background, green wallpaper. There's actually a really interesting, active um, living collection agenda, curatorial agenda at the Melbourne at Melbourne University, mm. particularly the Systems Garden. But the whole mm. landscape is really um, you know, it's an example of um, you know exemplar urban horticulture, and yeah. that's because of the staff. 
and, and the commitment of the staff and the skills and experience of the staff. And the relationship between the staff and the garden that they look after and, and indeed, the individual yeah. plants that they look yeah. after. Pride. They're not coming in fortnightly, mowing and slashing everything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we've, we were big ants. So Botanic Gardens, the, 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 the peak industry group, were approached to write a letter of support, which we're currently just crafting yep. in order to maintain... Like, you know, we can't nominate what the management model is, but to maintain that curatorial um, integrity and agenda is, is really, really critical because, mm. yeah, gardens are fickle. Gardens mm. can come and go and... It, uh, yeah, so, there's a, yeah, there's mm. that, it, it's concerning bit of news. Yeah, because um, yeah, it's a really important horticultural asset yeah. in Melbourne. It's mm. beauty. That personal connection can be lost between can the, be. the gardener and, its, yep. and the garden. It, 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 ha- it is doable you know royal park is is yep. uh, managed by and the australian native garden is managed by yep. um a contractor monash uni i think yeah. Burnley is as well Burnley yeah. probably yeah but it still has a head gardener uh, that's true yeah, yeah. so it, yeah. yeah and royal park's the same there is someone there that's yeah. there full time but yep. it can be lost this yeah it can be lost yeah so we're watching that space with, yeah. with some interest at the mm. moment yeah mm. and thanks for thanks for alerting us yeah it's a, an important one Thanks, John. We've got a couple more callers coming in, so we will go to Anne from Northcote. Good morning, Anne. Hi, good morning. Um, I wanted to thank you all for bringing your talents and time to us this morning. I think it's just amazing, so thanks for being there for us. Thank you so much for that. And I would like to ask about my Eileen Patterson Petosporums. I've got... I've got a hedge at the front, um, and they're sort of fairly unprotected, except for a street tree, a, a gum that has grown quite big now. And every now and um, then the gum gets cut right back, so they get a lot of sun and then they get a lot of shade when they don't cut the tree back. And I've found sooty mould, and okay. it was sort of um, just in the pre-spring really um, and so it just got worse and worse and I've ended up cutting a whole section out of my hedge. The, the, the trees are about 12 years old and I've, I've kept them down, I've hedged them and I've also, what do you do when, what's it called when you cut the bottom up and you expose the trunks? What's that Pleach. called again? Pleach. 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 Yes, I've pledged them at the bottom. Mm. Um, so I just don't know, I have no succession planting um, program in place and I'm just asking, I've given them the Jerry Colby Williams um, organic spray of garlic oil detergent Mm -hmm. over many, you know, goes, but then it would be a blazing hot day or lots of rain. I thought, well, that should fix it. But, um, and I've also been extra careful with um, my my pruning. I'm, I just generally just use hand um, clippers. That's good. And I've been sanitising them with um, eucalyptus oil mm-hmm. in between each plant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just wondering... Uh, do, uh, how old? Like, I just don't know how they're going to go now in the winter. Will will it subside? Will it? Um, 
will it be the end of them all? It's sort of <laughs> what do you graduating. Think, John? Is I, it, has I, it got something to do with the tree hanging oh, over that, and dropping? That, that would be my sense. <laughs> yeah. Is the is the eucalypt because um, sooty mould's normally a secondary thing. Um, uh, if you've got aphids or scale, um, lerps, lerps uh, in the eucalypt, which is, so it might be like a secondary thing. It might be that that the, mm. that, um, that the honey dew. What's uh, that? Yeah, honey yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Honey, yeah, I was questioning myself. <laughs> yeah, thanks, <laughs> Just keep going, keep going. <laughs> yeah, battle on. Uh, the honeydew coming from the eucalypt is settling on the leaves of the pito, um, and oh. then that's hosting the the the, the, the sooty mould or whatever yeah. it might be. Um, so it's often secondary. Yeah. Yeah, that's most likely. I did would have you thought. You see that under oaks as well. Yeah. Yeah. And did you say at the start that the the gum tree had been pruned somewhat recently, or it is pruned on and off? On and off, yeah. I, I can't say it's seasonal. It's just random. So it's just okay. now being pruned because it's it, it's under the wires. The that's why they yeah. do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's not. You would. I couldn't say seasonal. So it grows really. Yeah, monstrous, I, and then it's, not. It's probably a bonus when the additional light comes through for the hedge, yeah. to be honest. So. Yes, 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 I yep. agree. Mm. But also, I have, I've put, it's yucca, I think, yucca um, mulch underneath, because I've got lots of um, uh, weeds. So I've been weed controlling with yucca mulch now, Maybe that's brought something in. I, I don't know, but because don't I've so pleached that. pleached the trunks, mm. you know, I've, it's a nice con, it's a nice sanitation control. Yeah. But do you have the capacity I to? Also, sorry, um, do you have the capacity to spray soapy water on and then hose it off like reasonably aggressively? Because that might help to shift some of the sooty mould off. Ah, hmm. uh, yeah. Okay. I, I just have to be careful of the pedestrians. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't worry about them. No, just do it on a hot day. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and wear a high-vis vest. Yeah. <laughs> but also, there's another fact that um, I've got this, like, battalion of ants that walk. Everybody in my road has them. We've, we used to have a, 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 what am I trying to say, laneway or, you know, a right-of-way at the back yeah. of all our houses, which is now... Not so much, but maybe that was where the poo trucks used to go. I don't know. But um, everybody seems to have this massive battalion of ants coming out of their houses and they walk down the street at 500 metres and I don't know what they do, but they have this continual procession up and down the street. Massive. And and I don't know, are they bringing... They, they're in the in the potosperms as well. Yeah, they could be moving the scale or the... Um, they could be moving the scale around, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. so whether they've brought it or they they like the scale so they're helping, I don't know. Are they helping or... They'd be, well, they'd be farming I, it, yeah. I, I think with potosperums, the best thing you can do is just try and make the growing conditions as happy as possible. Yeah. And... Um, and that's probably all you can do, unless you really want to start spraying it with all sorts of things to um, to prevent the the, the uh, mildew growing, the sooty mould growing. Mm. Um, it, it, dryness can often make it worse. Mm-hmm. We've certainly had a pretty dry last four weeks or so. Mm-hmm. Um, that can make any any uh, issue with a plant worse. Mm. So I would be really concentrating on feeding those plants yep. and um, keeping them well watered. And if, if depending on 
yeah, whether you want to or not, give them a big haircut and let them come back again. You know, because they don't mind a prune. No, yeah. and if it is yeah. dropping off the eucalypt, as you were saying, John, you know, it might be worth just getting rid of that material and mm. and starting again. Yeah. Mm. Mm. And you yeah, can I cut petosterums down to their knees. Yeah. <laughs> no problem there. Oh wow. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I live on a road and I need the hedge to protect me. Yeah. From yeah. yeah. It's, Pollution um, and traffic and, you know... Ma- managing like, hedges is tricky business, I reckon. <laughs> yeah. Mm. All right, well, I agree. I think it has come from the top down. Um, yeah, definitely. Now that we're in this new season, um, what what should I... How long do I wait before I know it's death to the petosporums or not? Do you know what I mean? I Being 12 years old... I think you're unlikely that, you'll, that they'll die. I just might lose a bit of bigger. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'll just persist, but um, keep an eye on it. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. get them as healthy as possible. Just feed them regularly, small amounts regularly, and keep the water up to them. And um, I think you'll Lovely. think it'll be fine. And uh, encourage the um, guys that cut the eucalypt back just to make sure it's not mm. hanging over your petosporum. Yeah. That would make a big difference as well. Definitely. Yeah. All right. Lovely. Thanks for calling, Thank you. Nan. Thanks. We'll talk to you another time. We've got a couple more calls to get through, so we'll we'll say hello to Thelma in Oak Park. Did you get through, Thelma? Oh, good morning. Uh, yes, I've got a problem with Leanter. I think it's Leanter grass. It's very that ponytail sort of thing that if you try to trim it, it's very stringy. But it's sort of taken over in my garden. And what I've noticed um, in this last week, my uh, crepe myrtle, 15-year-old crepe myrtle, uh, grows in the bed with this leanter, isn't it? The leanter is really quite thick around it. And I've noticed um, leaves... Uh, I first thought the leaves were changing colour because at that time of the year... But they were all dry and looked as though they were dying. There's about half the tree of the, with the branches. The, all the leaves are dying in it. And I'm just wondering, is it because of this leantra grass growing all around it? Could it have choked it a bit? Or Could you what? describe the grass? Because it, it's not something that um, any of us know by, by that name. Well, it's, it's a sort of a... a a grass, oh, I bought it years ago when I first started off my garden just as an edging. And it's, um, you know, it's just grassy looking. It doesn't, it does it does shoot up a flower every now and then. Is a it, pink is it Lamandra? Lamandra, is it? Is it? Ah, uh, could oh. be. Is, yeah. it, is it like an apple green colour, the leaf? A, a grey green colour. Grey green, okay. How tall? How tall oh, is the tussock? It's grown up now to probably a couple of foot in the, in the in some parts. Okay. So it might be sea spray in or and, out sea the and yeah. it's sort of rounded, like it's a kind of ball-shaped tussock. Uh, but, but, but the leaf the, is flat. Yeah, so. okay. It does sound like a does sound like a lamandra. I mean, they're pretty competitive. They have this fibrous root system. Um, yeah. Which will draw a lot of moisture and nutrients out, and actually compete with things like um, uh, things like the um, uh, the tree, the yeah, liquid amber. Liquid amber? Uh, no, it? not liquid amber. The no, the crepe myrtle. Crepe myrtle. Oh, crepe myrtle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how old's the crepe myrtle? Oh, it's about 15 years old. It's been a wonderful tree because I've planted it in front of my lounge window, which gets the afternoon heat. Mm. It gets plenty of sun in the, the hot weather to, to, for 
being in leaf and giving me shade, and in winter time because it's lost its leaves, uh, uh, you know, it gives the light. And based and, and uh, based on the just the amenity value of of the liquid amber, if it is the of oh, the crepe myrtle. Sorry, sorry, <laughs> I'm so sorry. Having a moment. I am having a moment. I've had a few today. <laughs> Um, based on the amenity value of the crepe myrtle, um, I'd have no hesitation in looking to pull the, the lamandra out. And, and, and will, that, that's the other thing, because my son's coming over tomorrow. Will that, pulling it out, it's going to be quite a job for it him. Would, mm, it's yeah, it would be. Deadly stuff. Um, will that interfere with the roots of the tree? Just locally, but, but mm. the advantage of not having that really competitive thing at the Close to the base of the tree would be would outweigh the risk, I think. Yeah, and this time of year, the the crepe myrtle's starting to slow down. That's so, right. yeah, and look, yeah, you can divide that plant up too if you want to use it. it somewhere else. Oh no, I want to get rid of okay, it. Okay, in the compost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, into the compost. Yeah. yeah. And um, yeah, so the tree, you know, it gets watered, but you know, it, there's plenty of drainage. It's not so it sits in wet or anything, because you know, mm. yeah, so. Okay, well, yeah, that, that, that's what he said. He thought he'd have to cut it out, so that'll yeah. be what... Just a matic, a matic, and just don't go too deep. You don't need to go very deep. No, it's mandra. all on the surface. No, yeah. you pretty right, much just hook under it, and you'll just hoik it out. Mm. Right. Okay, all thank right. you for that. Thank you, Anne. We'll talk to you soon. We do have another caller here, and we'll put through Lee from Merrick. So are you still there? I am still here, yes. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. Thanks for waiting. Very autumnal and 13 degrees down here on the Mornington Peninsula. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. You were talking about horseradish earlier, and mm. I've been harvesting horseradish here for many, many years. I love oh, it. I don't know excellent. what that says about my palate. How do you but store it? Quite... That's what I want to know. Well, I tend to dig for it after it's died down. Yep. I dig up as much as I can. I put all of the, I scrub all the pieces with a nail brush mm. and get them as clean as possible, put them in the food processor... Large bits, small bits, little rooty bits, everything just goes in the and blitz that into a, you know, a fine crumb, mm. and then I pour in some vinegar, blitz it again to spread that through, and then mm. just pack it into screw top jars and put it in the fridge, labelled, dated, mm. in the fridge, and then when I want to use it, you wouldn't use it like that; it would blow your head off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and you don't put you, your head uh, over the bowl after you've blitzed it too. Well, <laughs> so it's probably quite good if you've got sinus troubles. <laughs> Um, I mix it then with ice cream or yogurt or cream fraiche or mm. mayonnaise, whatever you want to do to break that down a bit before you put it on your rare steak or roast beef. Right, so you actually store it by just putting vinegar through it yeah. and, and, and nothing else at that nothing point. Else. And then and it lasts when you... for years. Right. Oh, that's I've so never good had a problem know. with it fermenting or growing mould or right. bubbling or doing any of those unattractive things. Mm. It and that's because you're in my not... fridge for a long time. Because mm, you're I not putting it as I need it. You're not putting the cream in it. I think that's where we 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 sort of went wrong in the early days doing it. But that's great because I've got so much of it growing under mm. my apple trees, mm. and uh, it's it's a, it's a really good plant. It's a really robust plant. Very easy to grow, isn't it? Oh, it's impossible to stop. Yeah, it's impossible to stop. Once you've got it, you've got it. Yeah, so you don't want you to put have. it somewhere and where so you don't want it. So anybody that's heading out with horseradish needs to be cautious about where they plant it mm. and whether they really want it there because it will mm. spread. So how much vinegar would you be putting in, in the processor when you do that? Is it just enough to coat it? Is that... Oh, I don't know. Um, quarter of a cup or something yeah. to a, a food processor mm. full? Yeah. yeah. Mm. Not very much. And you can always pour a little bit more on top of the jar as you pack it into the fridge. Mm. Um, it'll seep its way down through the 
but I've never had a problem with it. And you don't get a very, that way, you don't also get a very strong vinegary taste when you mix it up with whatever it is you're breaking it down with. Well, that's right, yeah. The yeah. cream or mayonnaise or yoghurt or yeah. whatever. Oh, that's wonderful, Lee. Right. Thank you. <laughs> you're welcome. I've really enjoyed horseradish for many years here. <laughs> It's but great. I, I think it'll always be here. I can't imagine any way it'll leave the property. No, 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 definitely once you have it, you have it. <laughs> I try to contain it, but it is difficult. There's yes. a warning. Yeah. Thanks Thank very much, Lee. Thanks, we'll Lee. Talk to you Terrific. again. Thanks, Cheers. Bye. Well, we're running through till 9.15. We've got a couple more minutes left. I'm so pleased that that lady just rang up about the horse. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I need to get up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was excellent. Hey, some yeah. great, there's some great news in the Botanic Garden world. Um, funding uh, over the last couple of years, $4 million worth of funding have come from the state government for, uh, I think, 26 of the 40-odd Botanic Gardens in Victoria have received some grant funding to do a whole range of different projects. Um, so, that, I mean, that's really, really pleasing. We've got this yeah. fantastic legacy of Botanic Gardens in the state. And the um, state government have really put their money where their mouth is in terms mm. of backing botanic gardens. So the whole range of different projects from you know, master planning to irrigation systems to designing new gardens. Yeah. Indeed, Evan and I were in a meeting last week mm-hmm. talking about a new botanic garden at, in the Grampians. Mm. At, and it, you've it, an wow. Oka, Oka Landscape. Got won the gig? Yeah, yeah. No, it's very exciting, yeah. isn't it? It's great. It, it's actually oh, I'm so excited for you. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, it's a it's a great gig. So it's in the uh, Northern Grampians. Yep. Um, so, and it's a not for profit organisation that that's setting it up for endemic plants of the Grampians. Yep. And uh, oh, we're loving it as well because all of a sudden we're we're with all these fabulous people. <laughs> mm. The brain power in the room is extraordinary. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, look, we're really, really enjoying it as well. It's, it's just a great process and um, it's like just being amongst friends. It is. Yeah. Uh, just which is just, just fabulous. Talking about yeah. plants. Oh, yeah. yeah, talking about plants. Talking yeah. about plants. Um, and so Grampians plants. And oh, Grampians plants, it. yeah. So it's a really, really interesting um, thing that they're doing there. Yep. And uh, it's going to take... A while to to get something that people will will be able to go and visit, yep. but when it does get to that point, it's going to be amazing. It, mm. it actually speaks to botanic gardens as of long term propositions. Mm. The, the the idea for the Australian garden actually goes back to post war Melbourne, right? You know, so the first reference to having a dedicated annex to the Royal Botanic Gardens mm. for Australian plants was 1946, right? And the garden was completed yeah. in 2012. Well, I think you said in one of the meetings that uh, the first thing to do was build some really lovely gates. <laughs> yeah, build some gates. Have a go. Build, by. build some gates. Build some gates. And say, so, here we are. This <laughs> is the Botanic Garden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that's the starting point. Yeah, the, indeed. Have a gateway. Have a gateway. Yeah. So the, then there's expectation. You've got to do something beyond it. But, uh, you know, the Grampians, it's, uh, you know, it's a biodiversity hotspot in the state, a third of Victoria's plants occur naturally at the Grampians. Mm. There are 71 endemics, so oh. found nowhere else but the Grampians. Nowhere else a, in the world. Nowhere else in the world. In the world. Yeah. Yeah, and, that's and, what endemic means. And in some instances, it's nowhere else in the world but one mountain peak. Yes. Yeah. You know, extraordinary. Yeah, well, the Grampians are an extraordinary place, aren't they? When you, when you drive either side of them mm. and you go past, it's just... A big island, isn't yeah. it? It looks like it's coming out of the ocean, it does. which it clearly was at some point. Yep. Uh, but it's not dissimilar to Wilson's Prom mm-hmm. in many, many ways. Geologically, it's really similar. Yeah. 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 And uh, then there is that one plant 
that only occurs at those two places. Which is wacky. So it blows my mind. I just want someone to do a PhD on it. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> it's the Banksia saxicola, which is very, very closely related to Banksia integrifolia, the common coastal Banksia. Yep. But Banksia saxicola only grows on Mount Oberon. Yep. And Mount William yep. in the Grampians. We should, prom. we should drop a Vic Flora distribution map onto the onto the Facebook page. Yes, we should. I'll, yeah. I'll do that. Yep. Yeah, great. Of Banksy of Saxicola, because mm. it's remarkable. Yeah. And they're, yeah. Um, I, I was just thinking about what my favourite Grampians plant was on the way in. Yeah. And I think it's... A We're like five-year-old kids talking about <laughs> what your favourite dinosaur is. <laughs> <laughs> and it, for me, it has to be Grevillea gariwardensis, if not just for the, spe- the species name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's named of the Grampians. It's, and it's really rare, restricted to the Grampians. Mm. Yeah. And what about the resurrection plant that you, you bring up every now and again uh, in these meetings? Borea mirabilis. It, it, it is... I mean, it's on the list yeah. for, for this endemic garden, but... I don't think it's cultivatable, <laughs> if that's a word. <laughs> it's such a bizarre thing. It, it's such a bizarre thing. So it goes completely dormant during the dry season and after a, a rain event. Uh, it, it's a resurrection plant, so it actually comes back right. um, and grows herbaceously, dies down, comes back, dies down, comes back. Is there an underground tuber? Uh, no, I don't think so. Whoa. I don't. It's magic. Mm. It's a magic plant. Mm. But surely if you, you, you could sort of make it do it, you know, you, like have you, an event. You could. Yeah, you could have the Borea Festival. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we could all just wait. <laughs> congregate up there after, you know, 20 mil of rain. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right, and just yeah. <laughs> all circle around the... So uh, what does it take and how, how long does it, uh, um, you know, will it sit... Oh, it'll sit dormant for, for as long as it needs to. Really? Yeah. Quite a remarkable plant and mm. restricted to just a couple of populations. It's, mm. it's a inherently rare thing. Mm. Mm. Um, but what a treat. What a, what a great project to, to celebrate mm. that endemic flora. Yeah. Um, and a great site. It's just out of Hall's Gap, yeah? Mm. yeah? It is a great site, yeah. It's just got a sort of ephemeral creek running through it that, yep. that only in big rainfall events mm. has yeah. any water going through it. Um, yeah, and it's just got a nice gentle slope on it as well. Yep. Um, so it really lends itself to, to the project. And again, funded through this Growing Victoria's grant program. Mm. So and, and they've also planted in, an indigenous grassland yeah. on it. Um, Jaluka grasslands. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and that's coming along. Yeah. You know, you've got to understand it's very tough conditions. It's, really it's not an easy place to grow, mm. yeah. grow things. Yeah. So, mm. you know, it's a, it's a very fine sand. Yep. that it's growing on, um, and it's very, very poor. Yeah. Like, the fact that it was ever farmed actually blows my mind yeah, yeah. as well. When you look at it, it's like, oh, how did you <laughs> ever run, a, run cattle or sheep on, on here? Yep. Uh, but, uh, but that's the challenge, isn't it, to, isn't get, that, yeah. to yep. get it up and, and get it growing? It'll be fantastic. Congratulations. Mm. I'm so excited for the Wildlife Art Museum of Australia. Awesome. It's a brilliant project, and I can't mm. wait to see it all, you mm. know, come to life. Mm. That brings us to the end of today's show. I must say thank you to Evan and John for um, backing me up today <laughs> and coming into the studio. It was, it was a lot of fun. Also, thanks to Rose, Byrne and Karina who helped handle all of the phones. We will be back again next Sunday morning at nine at 7.30, not 9.15, <laughs> till 9.15. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.